Hello, and it is episode 101 of One Day Closer to Dead, where it all begins again. I am Dave Beaudry. And I am Jason Bailey. And Jason, I have to say I am disappointed. I have to say I am, I am heartbroken. The cockles of my heart are cold with sorrow. Is this supposed to concern me? Yes. Okay. I, I have yet to receive my oh trinket, my Dakota ring, my whatever the fuck it is, that you would promise the dozens you would be sending through the mail. I'm it the is- co-host of the show, and I have yet to receive oh anything. God. God damn it. Listen, it, it, it'll, it'll get to you when it gets to you. It's not like you're not going to receive one. You're, you're the co-host, for Christ's sake. You, you know, it's on its way. The check's in the mail. Locust, Tuxton, come back from the cleaner. Don't worry about it, dude. It's, it's on its way. Okay? You're, pull- you're pulling a Joe Biden with those $2,000 checks, aren't you? No, oh, please. Well, some of the listeners didn't even agree with you on that, so I didn't want to go into that right now. Well, well let, the listeners were wrong. This. That's okay. No, but everybody out there, if you sent your, your name and your mailing address, it's on its way, and I can guarantee you it's going to be fun and underwhelming. So don't worry about it, guys. Much like this show. <laughs> Much like this show. Overpromise, underdeliver every motherfucking time. But, uh, no, it's, it's coming. I do want to tell you a few things, though, right off the top of the program so that uh, we can get some things rolling here that you might enjoy. Uh, as you know, a good friend, a good listener, one of our Platinum members and someone we actually profiled, John Collins. John Collins actually has this wonderful book which we've promoted partially on the show, and it's called Preacher Behind the White Hoods, A Critical Examination of William Branham and His Message by John Collins. Uh, that book just got picked up by Walmart, and you can actually order it on the web. You can order it from Walmart online. It's a big deal. Um, so I just thought I'd shove that out there for all the listeners that uh, if you are looking to a follow-up to our conversation about William Branham and his uh, psychotic The Message cult, uh, it was profiled very greatly in our most listened to show, The Cult of Personality. Uh, no, it was not about CM Punk. It was about John Collins and uh, his, his taking on of this uh, terrible cult known as The Message racist KKK uh, Christian uh, kind of influx into into all this uh, savagery that's been going on behind the scenes for uh, many, many, many decades. Human anyway, dumpster fires. I oh, feel confident using that terminology in this case. Absolutely. Fuck this uh, this William Branham and his, and his goddamn so-called message. Uh, but anyway, this is a good book. Uh, I've read parts of it all the time for, since we did that episode. And uh, once again, it's Preacher Behind the White Hoods by John Collins, now available uh, from Walmart online. So congratulations, Mr. John Collins. Uh, that's a big deal. I also Absolutely. Have congratulations, also, John. Yeah, and I think that uh, us getting his name out there really was uh, one of the most fantastic dumpster fires that we ever did because that one, there was a, there was a hero behind it. <clears throat> okay, moving on. We did receive some more... Uh, wonderful congratulatory emails uh, from our 100th episode that happened last week. And thank you for all of you listening out there. We actually had such a spike in listenership uh, across the board on all our episodes. It's really uh, unbelievable. But one of them came to our very brand new email address. And it, it, it comes as follows. Strap on your proton packs. 
because you can contact us now at AskDaveAndJason at ProtonMail.com. And this is exactly where this came to, so thank you very much. It is from our Platinum members, our Platinum listeners, Julian King. He writes... And it is labeled, What's Cooler Than 100? Hey, Dynamic Duo, congratulations on 101 episodes. I meant to get these congratulatory remarks to you sooner, but you changed the email up on me, and uh, that's just how it went. But I just want to say, besides, you know, besides 101 is much cooler than 100, I mean, they never did make a movie about 100 Dalmatians. I must say, Jason, when you first told me about your podcast, I thought you were joining the ranks of every other red-blooded male in the 20-teens. Either, you know, you start your own homebrew in a garage or you start a podcast. Honestly, for the first six months, I just completely forgot to listen. But when I finally downloaded the most recent podcast uh, that week, I was instantly taken back to some of our wonderful talks through the years. Most of these talks, of course, were at the end of crazy shifts at that militant factory we worked. I can tell you for a fact that it, it, we're not going to give the name of it, but it sounds a lot like Cheese Snake Fiznactory. Uh, but uh, it is really fantastic that you've done this. When I first met you, I was technically your superior. I'll still never forget having to coach you on being late one day. I was intimidated. I didn't know how to handle the soon-to-be vanilla Godzilla alone in a room. Then you coached me through the process of how to coach yourself. Fast forward a few years later, we got promoted. We were equals. We would enjoy these post-shift meals and conversations. And I remember thinking how amazingly passionate you were and how easy it was for you to prove a point. It was no wonder to me I later found out that you were a master debater. People think I'm a great speaker because I went to schools and all, but... You know, it is pretty amazing that you got a commanding presence. I'm glad we agreed on most things because I would never be able to best you in an argument. It's okay, Julian. Most people can't. Dave, I don't know that we've ever met. I don't think we have. But I sure would like to grab a beer with you next time I'm in Los Angeles. In Dave Bodry's case, that's a Mountain Dew. Indeed. And uh, yeah, but but I think you are amazing. It was an amazing last week listening to how y'all's podcast has touched so many people all around the world. You thought it was therapeutic for you, but it turns out it's been therapeutic for all of your listeners, too. I think that you and Dave are a perfect pair and effortlessly, or at least it seems that way, transport people away from their lives for about an hour a week. Congratulations on this even bigger milestone than the Centennial 101 episodes. And he ends with, fuck you, Bill Cosby. Fuck you, Donald Trump. Epstein didn't kill himself. I'm out. Julian King, our in-house Lando Calrissian. Thank you very much, Lando. Julian King, you're amazing. And I really do think that you, uh, if you do end up opening that uh, rooftop bar, you should definitely call it either Cloud City or Bespin and, uh, because this, there, there's no one cooler than Julian King, not, not one person and a great mind on him too. So thank you, Julian. Well, thank you very much, Julian. Much appreciated with the feedback. Likewise, I do not believe we have met. Jason, do you... <clears throat> Were we ever at the same place at the same time? I honestly don't know. We had we did have several get-togethers in Burbank back in the day that you might have been at the same time, uh, you know, the, where we also filmed Jason's Hideout and all that. But um, I was trying to remember. I, I cannot. I honestly can't recall, which is a little bizarre. But uh, that would, if you did cross paths, it would have been, that's where it would have been. Okay, well, for sake of argument, we will say no, because fuck it, none of us can remember. So, no. uh, yes, that is absolutely true. You know, let us let us know when you are uh, next in L.A. And I will say, as Jason's, uh, as you are Jason's former superior, as uh, I am currently Jason's superior, I can absolutely relate to the man being late 
pretty much every week. <laughs> and uh, it is something I'm going to have to talk to him about, either on or off the air. Uh, oh, well. Julian, if you want to take the wheel on that, because you've had to do it before, by all means, you you have my my full blessing. Though I will also say, uh, Jason would never go the way of, of typical red-blooded males, because the vanilla Godzilla is as cold-blooded as it gets. That's wonderful. Okay, so let me go over you're this. Welcome. We are number three. No, you're welcome. Uh, number three in personal journaling. That's where we're at right now. Thank you for very much for making us this great listen to podcast. And also, I want to give a shout out to the great cities that listened to us the most last week, which uh, is of no surprise. Wichita, Kansas tops the charts. Kansas City, Missouri coming in second. Los Angeles and Paris tie for third. Long Beach, California, which is odd to me because. I think Long Beach sort of is L.A. And Louisville, Kentucky. So these are our top listened to cities. Thank you very much. We love having you out there. And, uh, yeah, so L.A. and Paris are fighting uh, for us. You know, they're, they're fighting for our attention. So thank you I, very, very much. I appreciate you. I feel so let down by the Irish. Well, they're there. They're just not in the top five as they were at the beginning. Paris really, you know, France kicked their ass, so it is what it is. But we still love them, too. There's nothing wrong with Dublin. They still listen to us, just not as much as Paris. So Fine. it is what I it guess. is, man. But, hey, I just want to tell all of you out there, and I'm, it, this is absolutely serious. I couldn't believe the uptick in listenership um, over this last week. So yeah, thank you, you very much. You te- sorry, for context, you texted me about it with – just like holy shit like numbers across the border are going up because that's always something that you follow significantly more than i do well i can just always tell what's going on you know if if certain episodes are piquing the interest of our listeners or what's going on but uh i we made it to that hundredth episode and that got consumed massively like just people listened to it unbelievably right away and uh so i was very thankful for that i guess everybody wanted to be part of that uh you know celebration and then just across the board everything came up uh we really have started being listened to a lot let me tell you something that you might not even know dave a little insight into some podcast stuff that's uh recently happened uh ever since that uh itunes went to that what's it called apple podcasts or whatever they're calling their something Something, i don't know well i'm not look i'm not pissing all over itunes or anything like that you know far i mean maybe when the mics are off but they they really have given us some trouble when we were trying to get things fucking rolling here with you know the podcast getting it uploaded and having them people listen to it and things of this nature and this was I mean, they might have changed their ways now, but this is about a year and a half, two years ago. And uh, we couldn't get, they were more concerned with like artwork and how many pixels were in things we were like posting and everything seemed to matter a lot more than the content of our show. Quite frankly, it's just the truth. They were, it was the opposite interaction than what we had with, let's say, Spotify, which was like, yeah, you're barely a thing. Don't worry. We'll make you look like a fucking thing. It was completely opposite. So I had been working to try to get our full information and our presence on iTunes a lot better than it was. But finally, I was just sort of like, you know, fuck it. This is as much as we're willing to do here. And we've done everything that we're supposed to do. Well, ever since they switched over to this new uh, podcast gimmick they got going on, uh, all of our shit got really, really good. They got all of our artwork. They have put a lot more into promoting us. Uh, We're a lot more easily... Accessible. So I just wanted to thank uh, Apple out there for doing this, you know, finally, because it was just unbelievable. I, it, it sort of, we stopped caring because when we first started, 
all I was thinking about is, well, we got to get on iTunes. I mean, to be a real fucking thing, you got to be on fucking iTunes. But it just, we slowly were like, this is crazy. Like how much we have to do to get this on there and to be, you know, get it looking like it's supposed to look. Uh, Well, we finally, two years later, it's happened and they really are promoting us very, very well now. So thank you very much, Apple, whether it's iTunes, Apple Podcasts. I'm not really sure uh, what, how you reach us with them now, but I just wanted to say thank you because uh, you guys sure as shit are doing a lot better for us than you did two years ago. Well, while we're, while we're thanking people, Jason, uh, may I make a shout out? I probably should have mm-hmm. done it last week, but I'll do it now because it just popped into my head. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, what's I was going to say, I'm going to take your silence as uh, complicit permission. Easier to ask forgiveness than permission, folks. But anyway, uh, uh, our main graphic the for the show that has the, the two emojis, one with the sunglasses because I get migraines all the time, the other one looking pissed because it's Jason. Uh, that was actually done by a dear friend of mine, Gina Wong, who I've known for, for years and years. And we, you know, we needed a graphic done, and I know she, she had helped us do like a, a poster for a short film and stuff before. So I asked if it was something she could take a look at and she was the one who, who put that together. Um, so I, you know, it's been with us ever since. Uh, so I definitely want to say thank you to Gina for lending her time and her talent to, uh, to our main show graphic. I think is awesome. Uh, what I, I forgot to talk about it last week. It's just a side note where Dave came up with the name of the, the show uh, one day closer to dead, but we were kind of stuck with like, what should the logo be? I do remember this very well at the time I was dating somebody that I'm so fucking old. And they were of course much younger than me that they would text me back emojis. Now I know that for all of you out there is like, yeah, what's the big fucking deal? Well, old man Bailey had not really been in the dating game for so long that I didn't understand the power of the fucking emoji and how you could say like with a lot gets lost in texting without goddamn emojis a lot. You could take something as well, that's rude or they're being funny when you're not being, you're being, you know, very literal about something. So of course, emojis really come in handy. Well, she oh, fucking well, is so... Ladies and gentlemen, this was also the day that Jason Bailey discovered the power of the eggplant. The, absolutely. The power of the eggplant, they've got the little spitting part too that you could line up correctly. It, it really worked very well. I learned how to uh, sext very well with emojis. But what was happening is she was using so much that when we were sort of lost with the idea of like, well, what should the logo be? Um... I do remember saying we should use an emoji because Dave was emojiing me with his goddamn sunglasses, happy face all the fucking time, like he was a blues brother, happy face or something. Impossible. I'm never happy. "Mm, Well, that's true. But I mean, the thing is, that's where that came from. And we said, let's use an emoji. Let's use whatever thing. I thought like a happy face and a pissed off face, you know, kind of like him and me. Uh, cause it's just our general personalities to other people. But then when it came up with the shades and the, the pissed off emoji, it was very universal. Uh, she made a kind of a black emblem one and she made a white kind of background one. And they were both a little bit different and the white one just popped really strong on most of the shit that we were posting on. So that's, that's how that, uh, became our, you know wonderful icon or or image that goes out all over the internet. And then anytime that you saw a picture of Dave and myself that's associated with it, both of those are on the spot selfies that we took. One was at a wrestling match uh, in what Staples Center. Like I think we were on top of the stage. 
yeah. And we and that was just a picture of me and him. We both had Roddy Piper shirts on and things like that. And then the second one is when I went to L.A. this last time, and we just click took a picture, and that was it. So th- those have been the actual images that are all over the internet associated with us. And we never talked about that behind the scenes little fact, but there you go. All right. Well, you ready to get uh, down to the business of the week, Mr. Bailey, or is there anything else you'd like to go over? Let's get into the fire. The world is a dumpster fire, Jason. I don't know if after 100 episodes you were aware of that. Oh, I'm very well aware of that. Yes. Do you know why that is? It truly fucking is. Indeed. So uh, we've talked a lot about cotton candy on this show. We are the ones who popularized, if we can say it's popularized, but we're the ones who started calling it cotton candy. And of course, I'm talking about that goddamn coronavirus that refuses to go the fuck away. But anyway, so in talking about cotton candy and how it has changed the world throughout the course of this program since we first started, one of the things that has become much more prevalent is people working from home. And we've, we've touched on this fact, you know, off and on throughout the course of the pandemic and even recently, just kind of tangentially to other things that we've been talking about. And Jason, you obviously documented your love of Zoom school and everything that that entailed. So what's happened now is a lot of people have basically restructured their life to where they can work at home and do well working at home and would like to continue working at home because it gives them more, you know, uh, personal autonomy over other areas of their life, whether it be family or doing laundry or picking up kids or whatever the hell. And just fucking not commuting. And as you talked about weeks ago, Jason, not having to deal with their fucking coworkers on a daily basis, which is also a major part of it. Well, no good deeds can go unpunished, Jason. Google has decided that they're going to use one of their legendary algorithms to determine where a worker is working at, meaning where they live, so that where where their home office is based, and then use that to justify decreasing their pay. Because I guarantee you no one's getting a fucking raise from this, unless it's one of the executives, because the executives always are the exception to these rules. So, for example, if you have somebody who works in, let's say Google has an office in San Francisco, which I believe they do, but let's just say for sake of argument that they do. And someone decides they don't want to go into the office to San Francisco anymore. They can do their job perfectly as well from, let's say, Oakland. Then what is happening is Google is then saying, well, you live in Oakland. Uh, the, the, The standard of living is much lower there. So we're going to decrease your pay by 10 or 15%. Google is owned by, is the Alphabet is the parent company for Google, one of the biggest fucking companies in the world who has like Facebook, like Amazon. They have made off like gangbusters during this entire pandemic, posting record profits. And now they are justifying paying their workers even less than they already do just fucking because. This reminded me a lot of the Kroger story we did a couple weeks ago where Kroger spent all this money into radio and TV ads about how their workers are family and how they're heroes on the front lines, blah, blah, blah. As soon as Long Beach and a couple other places passed a a bill that required them to pay their workers four extra dollars an hour temporarily, they immediately closed down a bunch of stores in those areas and said, oh, our profit margins are so thin, we just can't afford that. Meanwhile, bragging to shareholders that they had had their most profitable year on record. I see this as no different from that. Fuck Google. And Jason, what is your what is your thought on all this? And this is why we don't use Gmail. <clears throat> well, 
I think that what it comes down to is it's a, this is just my opinion, but once again, I'm always right. It's a power play. It's a corporate power play because what they're really trying to do is have an incentive, whether it's, a, I mean, they went for positive. Now they're just going for negative. We're taking your fucking money away to come back to the goddamn office, to come back to a, a brick and mortar fucking place so that your corporate over overlords can tell you what to fucking do. Keep your eyes, you know, keep their eyes on you all the fucking time and that you have to report to your, you know, employment prison. And that's what everyone is rebelling against. I've said it so many fucking times that it, there should be this hashtag, hashtag nobody wants to work. Okay. It's hashtag. Nobody wants to fucking work the way they were goddamn working. If it's shown us, if anything, cotton candy has shown us is that we can still be a productive race without having to fucking go into a building to do it. The technology is there. We can do work at three in the morning. If we wake up and, you know, want to just go through the refrigerator, grab something to eat real quick, get some fucking work done a couple hours, then go back to bed. It's helped actually for the first time ever parents be able to get their kids from point A to point B to point double Z and at the same time get work done because they can structure it around it. This is something myself as a restaurant manager has no fucking capability to do. I can't work remotely. God knows I wish I fucking could, but I can't. So the thing is that we are hearing from all of these fucking people, particularly an older generation. I'm not trying to get an ageist thing going here because God knows I rail against fucking millennials at every chance I get. But there's there, there really is sort of a boomer power play of the boomers who are still in control at a top one, top 5% level in most companies saying, get your fucking asses back here so we can ride you around like donkeys the way it's been done for fucking well, in the history of ever, this is how we've done it. And you have this entire movement of people saying, fuck and you. What they're going to find is that we have changed as a society and the way we work has completely fucking changed. And you keep seeing people who are saying, give more money to get them to come back to work. Just fucking give them more money. Now they've reversed that. Take money away if they're not going to come back to the fucking office. Take it away. I don't think a lot of people understand that, yes, we still need money. Unfortunately, we're not a Star Trek goddamn society, but we have a whole group of people who rolled out of cotton candy saying, we're not fucking doing that shit anymore. They did have enough time to get drunk, to get fat, probably overdose a, a few of them, get really depressed. But one thing that also came out of being shut down and squirreled away in your little fucking shadow box for a year and a half was thinking about life. It forced people to get off the treadmill long enough, the hamster wheel, and go, whoa, 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 am I ever going to get that fucking cheese? Why am I on this fucking wheel? What's going on here? Who am I? Where are my pants? And so the thing is that that's really what happened here. And I, you know, obviously fuck Google, absolutely fuck Google, but this is just one of several companies that are trying to figure out a way to get their goddamn workers back in a fucking building so that they can control every goddamn last inch of their time, efforts, all of it. And we are in a radical new movement and probably worldwide, but definitely in the United States of free enterprise where people are pushing back against what employment used to be. And the almighty dollar is not the solve. Companies that really matter are going to get a lot of people to return to their corporate 
corporations or their companies or really believe in them and invest in them, they're going to come up with ways on how to give their employees time, flexibility, quality of life. This is how this is going to work. And those companies that can figure out how to do that, they are going to be the future. This is how it's going to be because nobody, not one motherfucker wants to be born on this planet and work 40, 50, 60 hours a week until they're goddamn dead. Nobody. Because then you're just, like I've said before, you're being born to be economic cattle for a system that's already set up to use you and fuck you for your top one to 5%. And this cotton candy, wonderful carnival that we've had has made people realize enough is a fucking enough. So the, the Republicans can blame all the stimulus money and we, every, the Democrats can blame every bit of this, that, everyone can blame fucking everybody. But the real issue is we have changed socially. Society has changed with how we view work and going to the workplace. Well, I wish I shared your optimism as far as what the future holds in that, you know, you had said that the, the future will will go with companies that realize and can adapt to, you know, these new these new structures as far as efficiency and, and you know, worker time and such and such. I wish I could agree with that. Unfortunately, I don't think we've seen an example of that. Obviously, you know, we have the example we just talked about with Google being a bitch. But then um, also there's, you know, Amazon. The horrible conditions that have pervaded throughout the pandemic, the dangerous conditions that have pervaded throughout the pandemic, and the fact that there was an attempt to even unionize in, I believe it was Alabama, and Amazon, it appears, uh, I'll say allegedly for the purpose of the legal team, um, you know, went through some serious union busting practices in order to prevent that from, from happening. So therefore, the status quo is maintained. And the corporate overlords maintain their control. And there's no better example of that than Amazon and how they're, you know, monitoring every single second of every single day that these workers are in those warehouses or, or driving those trucks. Well, that's absolutely true. No, I, I didn't say that a company exists right now. I'm saying that there needs to be companies going forward that their entire model is how do we best help our employees have a quality of life while they are also making us fucking money and themselves. And the, the, but the, I think what is the most important thing here is there are certain generations and certain people on a, on a, on, a, on a, some sort of status of power in corporations and politics, whatnot, um, the economic ladder that really truly believe that all we have to do is just bump up how much people are getting paid to do certain things. But I can tell you both professionally and even personally that that does work in the short term going, if you don't leave, we'll pay you this amount of money. Or, hey, would you come to work for us if we paid you this shit ton of money? It's it's more than you'll ever get paid, blah, blah, blah. Particularly when they go to lower economic uh, parts of the um uh, country where sure. there's just very little opportunity. This always seems like a big deal when a Walmart or an Amazon rolls into town and, and says, I pay $15 an hour when that's like more money than anyone's ever made in that town per hour to basically enslave you and take over your town. Um, like the fucking Borg. And that's sort of 
what people need to understand is that only works in the short term with these newer generations of Americans and human beings coming off the assembly line. There's a lot more enlightened people out there. They're like, I don't care what you fucking pay me. I don't, I really don't give a fuck what you pay me. I just want to have a good life. I want to enjoy my fucking life and be able to control how my fucking life rolls throughout that day, months, years, decades. And that's what we need to realize is that's what's fundamentally changed. The average worker now is not willing to put up with shit just because you shove wads of cash down their mouth. And it's happening on every fucking level. I can tell you from my generation, you know, Gen X, I really do believe we're the, the final generation in a way that was money hungry, that we went, I'll work really hard, make shit tons of money. And just like my parents, I'll go get a fucking house I can't afford, a couple cars I can't afford, but your credit cards that make me think I'm rich when I'm not, I'm just in debt. And then, yay, big life. Well, that's it. This is not happening anymore. You got millennials and younger than millennials, whatever the fuck they're all called, basically saying, we Gen don't Z want to. Gen Z or something? Gen Z, X, Y, next, whatever. I don't even know. It's like fucking NXT, the generation. What I'm trying to say is they don't even want to go into fucking debt. They don't want school debt. That's the big hurdle they're trying to get out of. They don't want to buy cars. They don't want to buy houses. And they want credit cards. They don't want to be in fucking debt because debt is how they enslave you in this company to go to your employment prison, take a bunch of money so that you can pay off your fucking debt. It's not to buy shit. It's to buy your way out of shit. And that's exactly how this, this entire United States of Free Enterprise was fucking built. And I'm telling you, they're going to have a hard fucking time going forward if they can't go. You, it's, you get to work at your pace, at your time, when it's you know comfortable to you, as long as this productivity gets measured. You do it however the fuck you want. You want to do it from home? You want to do it in a treehouse? You want to do it at three in the morning? It sounds like me and my sex life. I'm just letting you know like you can do this at any point in time as long as we're both benefiting each other. This idea of making people warehouse next to a bunch of other assholes you can't fucking stand, because you're an asshole too, is it's gone. It's this old age thing that's over. It's fucking over. And they just are not fucking getting it. You've got a bunch of old people who are just like, ah, just, we're going to roll it like it was two years ago. No, bitches, it's fucking over. The cotton candy meteor has struck the earth and has shaken up all of the way we think about an economic system. It's, it's shaken up how we think about our lives. What are we doing with our lives? We just want to see people we love. We want to go visit places. We want to enjoy life. We want to study fucking Jupiter or whatever we do in our free goddamn time. But no, we do not want to go to employment prison any fucking more and be told, well, you're getting you know, 15 an hour here, so do whatever the fuck we want you to do. You're chained to your desk. Don't we're telling you what to do, how to do it, when to do it, why to do it. They're done. This shit is fucking over. And it seems like the only people who haven't figured it out yet are at the top. All of us at the fucking bottom who have half a goddamn brain, we have figured this out. Labor has won. Management has lost. There are so many cows now that are sitting down on the grass going, we're not fucking standing up again, bitches. There's not enough cowboys in the world to get the fucking cattle moving again the way they wanted it to. There's fucking not. So this is what companies of the future have got to figure out. Give flexibility and quality of life to all the people out there who you need for your jobs or how I think it's going to go eventually is replacing with robots, robotics, where you just... Fucking human beings, they're driving us nuts, they're not slaves anymore, 
bring in the robots. And there you go. You can hear the music playing right now. But that's, that's, that's really how I see it. That also sounds like your sex life, Jason. <laughs> anyway, a lot of that was about my sex life. I just uh, <laughs> interchanged it up with the uh, economy. Uh, but you can, you know, re-edit that if you want in post. Nah, uh, but no, I, would, I just I, think, there you go. I, I would love to hear from the dozens, not only in the United States, but around the world. Dublin, come back to us. Uh, I would love to hear from anybody that would like to share what their return to work has been like, um, what their experiences have been, whether they've been required to go back to an office, a warehouse, uh, whatever it is, or if they've been able to work remotely, if their pay has been affected. I would love to hear any of that that anyone is willing to share. Jason, Excite is dead. If only there was a location where the dozens could reach out to us that would actually reach us, where they could share their stories. If, if only, if only. If only. Well, I'm telling you something. Don't cross the streams, Dave, because they can contact us at AskDaveAndJason at ProtonMail.com. Because why, Jason? You need a stinger oh, that's, for nah, it. That shit's gone. I'm, I'm, doing a, I'm doing an intro now for it. The stinger's gone. Yeah, let's let's I'm all trying something new. Let's all let's all pour one out for the loss of the stinger. That, and, uh, listen, people in the industry probably don't even know what the fucking stinger is. They're probably thinking you're talking about Steve Borden. Oh, that'd be Jesus. fine, too. There you go. Uh, hey, so Jason, I would pour something out for Steve Borden. What's up? In other news, childhood is dead. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, I did. I truly did. But the good news is, speaking of sex lives, uh, apparently Tim Drake, a.k.a. Robin, his is looking <laughs> a lot. A lot more open than what it, it previously was. Uh, apparently, this has got, I don't want to say outrage because I don't know that for a fact, but apparently this has got the dozens interested. So, uh, Jason, why don't you uh, lead us off and uh, let us know what some of the dozens are thinking, and then we will, we will weigh in on the coming out of Tim Drake. All right. Well, uh, I don't know if they were trying to get this to line up with Pride Month and it just didn't come out. Until, I don't know what the fuck it is, but the other day, Everything started getting blown up. People started contacting me about this Tim Drake Robin basically being bisexual, I think is what everyone's saying in the comic book. And I read the part of the comic book that this is all happening where he's going on a date with uh, with another guy. And uh, so I don't know if it's that he's you know, homosexual, bisexual. I don't know. But everyone's saying Tim Drake is bisexual. Well, Tim Drake has been a character as a Robin for quite some time, um, you know, in, in the Batman, you know, mythos. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know what this was about other than to just, you know, Hey, you know, let's, let's get some woke stuff in there. Let's bring in all the, all the stuff to all the characters and why not? Because people make fun of Batman and Robin. They, they have these, uh, innuendos all the time about them being gay anyway. So why not make Robin really gay? Let's, let's make uh, Tim Drake, which is kind of odd because really, uh, Dick Grayson as Nightwing, uh, there's like whole sexual fetishes and fans based around this character of, of uh, Dick Grayson as as uh, Nightwing, so the original, I just the original to, Robin for people. Who the don't original know. Robin, and I just I uh, he all grew up and became you know the wonderful uh, I guess S and M sexual fantasy Nightwing. Uh, I didn't really know about that, but then people started contacting me with that, saying it would have been a lot better had they just made Dick Grayson uh, gay. But I guess they they didn't want to uh, 
uh, do that. I don't know, take that character down that, that route or, or what have you. But uh, yeah, that's uh, apparently what is going on there. Um, there's, there's a lot of that stuff happening right now anyway, okay, where they're making certain characters that we grew up with either coming out as gay or transgender. I don't know. We didn't even talk about this, but about a month ago, I think about a month ago, there is a, I don't know if it's a Muppet. I don't know what Muppet thing this is, but it's like a cartoon, an animated um, thing, like computer generated animated Muppet, whatever, with the Muppet characters. I don't know if it airs on, I don't know what the hell it airs on to tell you the truth. But anyway, there was a episode where they were trying to find what princess left their glass slipper uh, you know, like a Cinderella type story the night before. So the next day the Muppets were trying to find who it was and they found out that it was Gonzo, that Gonzo was the one who was, who was the, this uh, princess the night before. And it was not like if you had done this probably 20 years ago, this definitely would have been played out as a punchline. Absolutely. Oh, Gonzo, Gonzo's cross-dressing again. This is, this was totally done as a, Hey, this is a normal thing. I didn't want you guys to think less of me. And all the Muppets were like, no, Gonzo, we love that you loved being a princess or a, or a pauper or whatever you want to be, you know, tonight. You can dress up as a lion tamer. Once again, my sex life. So the thing is that I think they're doing this to a lot of characters where here they're, they're pushing the idea that Gonzo is transgender in some capacity when Really, if you look at the old Muppet shows, he did have a sexual fetish for chickens. I was going to bring that true. up, so thank you. So for that. I, I, I don't know if uh, bestiality is going to be involved, and that's acceptable too. I, I would hope not in this this whole thing. But and then here we go with Dick Grayson. So it's just kind of like um, I, I don't want to call it a Deadpool, but sort of like a gay pool. We should start at making a list of fictional characters from our childhood as who's coming out next. Um, so I, I don't know. It's just very interesting because it it could be also, it could be shockwave. You don't know what's going to happen. It could be Destro. Who knows? It, it, some, some character from our childhood is going to be like, I've always had a fetish for being this because I'm different and it's acceptable. And I just, I don't know. I just think that this is sort of, I don't really care. It doesn't change. I wasn't a big fan of the character anyway, so I don't care what they do with him. He could you know, they could make him gay. They could make him not gay. I don't give a fuck what really what they do. Cause I'm not into that character. Um, but at any rate, it's just like, I think it's a sign of our times that they're just, um, let's pick some characters and make people feel better about themselves. And it's going to make for more interesting, I guess, storytelling in some capacity. Well, Bert, Bert and Ernie, baby, Bert and Ernie, Bert they've and Ernie. been, a, they've been, yeah. they've been the couple for years. Uh, so I think it's important to look at each of these things individually, because I think it really does depend on what story they're telling. Uh, I have not followed the, the Tim Drake storyline or, you know, the, the graphic novel or the comic book with which it is currently going into. I will say, you know, I don't believe, and again, Jason, you probably would have more knowledge on this, even though you're not a big Tim Drake fan. I, you know, I don't believe they've ever made a major storyline out of Tim Drake's romantic preferences outside of maybe like, you know, a small thing here or there, I believe. Is that correct? I don't believe he's ever been in like a big relationship in the comics or whatever that I'm aware of. Dozens no, correct I, I, us. I don't think so. But then there's so much lore out there now. Yeah, who absolutely. The, who the fuck knows? Well, here's my point is 
you know, I don't think, I think it's too, assuming, I believe this issue or whatever just came out, I think it's too early to really judge the merits of the storytelling because they haven't told the story yet. So I think time will tell whether this is serving an, an interesting character piece or character study or interesting direction for Tim Drake, uh, or if they don't do a good job with it and it just seems like it's something they did to get some clicks on websites and they've certainly gotten a ton of press over it. So from a marketing perspective, it has certainly brought more attention to that character than what it is, what he has seen in years. Uh, but I really think it, it depends on what story they're telling. Now I would understand more characters like Cyclops from the X-Men. He and Jean Grey have a long standing, you know, love interest throughout the that's an important part of the established lore. Superman and Lois, Batman and Catwoman. Uh so if it was a character such as that where there's a pre-established for whatever reason, a pre-established relationship history, sexual preference or whatever, and then that suddenly got flipped I could see where there would be discontent with that because it would kind of just shit on or violate or go against whatever the previous lore had been that has existed for, for generations or for, for decades, unless there's a really specific reason for doing it. Um, so if it was something where like Clark Kent was, was gay or was bi or something, I could, I could see there being a little bit more of a pushback on that. With Tim Drake, I, I I don't think it's fair to say that, oh, it's just, you know, woke culture or whatever, because again, like they haven't told the story that they're telling yet. So for me, it's more of a wait and see. Like you, I don't have a particular emotional attachment one way or another to Tim Drake's you know, sexual preference. I just hope they tell a good story with it that does justice to what that journey is for so many people so that it's not just a stunt, so that it's not just clickbait. You know, If they're going to go that route, then I hope they do explore what that means for Tim Drake and whatever relationships he, he finds himself in, in in the future. Like If you're, if you're going to make that a focus, then put justice on it and give it an appropriate sense of gravitas. doesn't mean that every single story about him has to be about who he's seeing or who he's attracted to. Um, I just, I, I have a wait and see approach just from strictly a storytelling standpoint. And because I don't believe his sexuality or his relationship preferences have ever been a really big part of his pre-established lore. I I mean, I have no issue with it. Um, I just hope they do a good job telling whatever story they're going with. Well, the thing is that, I think that particularly after I watched the, you know, the kind of the reboot of He-Man, uh, Master of the Universe on Netflix, and there was some woke culture shit in there. And I'm just like, I guess my concern is I don't give a fuck about the stories, the characters. I don't. Because what I realized even more firmly after that is, you know, I want to be excited about things like the the new Ghostbusters movie. I want to be excited about the Master of the Universe revelations. I want to be excited about new Batman films, okay? The problem is I'm just not. Like, you was talking about childhood is dead. Childhood really is fucking dead. And I have come to this realization that the stuff that I enjoyed, it's happened. Like, what am I looking for? A, a sequel in my fucking brain to get those chemicals going again? I've already had my version of Superman. I've already had my version of Batman. I've already had my version of most everything that I enjoy, okay? So the deal is I, I can almost look at the characters now, no matter what they do to them. No, I mean, honestly, no matter what the fuck happens to these characters, Batman, Clark Kent, whatever, 
they're not my Batman and Clark Kent, so let the kids have their freaking, you know, woke culture stuff that they're doing. And when I say it, I am being a little derogatory, and here's why. I really think that sometimes these companies, these corporations, the people at the top, they do sit around an office and go, we need to get in on this, you know, anti-discrimination, this all races, all genders, all sexualities, all fucking whatever, without really having any knowledge behind it other than we need to rep for some promotion. We, we need to look like, boy, we're ahead of the curve as a company, okay? And I do think that's fucking happening. So I don't think it comes out of any real, sometimes, storytelling at all. I think it comes out of a bunch of people sitting around an office going, hey, we need some more of these characters from, from this gender. We need more characters from this race. We need more characters of this sexuality. And I, and I think it's very obvious, by the way, when that's happening, at least to me, which is fine once again, because I it's a lot of it's my shit that I've already seen. I already have my version and they're trying to make it more diverse for upcoming generations. But I do think it's sort of clickbait. And I do think it's sort of like, look, uh, like cheap heat in a way, uh, in, you know, a wrestling term. So yay that he, I guess that's fine. But honestly, I don't know what the motivations are behind it either. I don't know if it's just look at me, look at me, look at me. You know, um, it's when there was, I forget that this is horrible, what I'm going to say, because I can't even remember the fucking guy. But <clears throat> there was a wrestler who came out, I don't know, three, four, five years ago. And he worked for WWE. And on his own, without any consulting WWE at all or anything, he said, I'm gay. Okay, he came out, I'm gay, I'm gay. I'm the first gay wrestler. I came out, I'm public, I'm gay. And WWE couldn't control this narrative because it was done on social media. So they were like, uh, they were tr definitely trapped into just being like, yes, we support your, that you, absolutely, you're a, a spirit to all of us. And he wasn't a particularly good wrestler. He wasn't a particularly spotlighted wrestler. He was just a wrestler on the roster. I can't remember the guy's name. I really can't. And the thing is that it was bringing, a, I think that he had, in my opinion, ulterior motives for coming out like I think they thought it was sort of a career thing to where when like TMZ and people were like interviewing um, Triple H on his way in and out of the airport Shawn Michaels which Shawn Michaels one of his funniest responses is like uh he may have been the first to use social media to do this but he goes there has been plenty of gay wrestlers and plenty of people who knew they were gay kind of like taking you know, kind of like stealing his thunder or at least putting it back in a fucking bottle. And what I'm trying to say is, while I am applaud all of this, yay, let's get all the cultures and all the races and all the genders, and I do, okay? Believe me, I love fucking Star Trek. I love Star Trek because of that thing. But that was done at a time where it wasn't like, I don't think it was clickbait. Now it's very much, this is going to help us get more viewers. This is going to help us get more sales. This is going to help the bottom line. And I think that's where a lot of this social movement crusading is coming from at a certain level. And it's sort of eye-rolling many times. I think it certainly can be, but that's where, uh, and for the record, it was uh, Darren Young was the, mm -hmm. uh, that was his WWE name, is who you were talking about. Fred Roser, I believe, is his, <clears throat> Rosser, Roser, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, is his real name or the name he at least yeah. is using now. But Darren Young is the wrestler you're referencing. Uh, Chris Canyon from WCW came out, actually, previous to him. Um, unfortunately, he has since passed away. I, I want to say he committed suicide, unfortunately, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, that's a whole nother story for a whole nother <clears throat> day, but... One thing I, I do want to caution in general 
is I do agree that there's a certain amount of cynicism in regards to the, you know, pure intentions of a lot of these quote unquote marketing moves. But at the same time, I'm very reluctant or hesitant to immediately prescribe the label of woke culture or whatever. Anytime a character is being presented as anything other than like a cis white dude. Um, and that type of examination never really existed on a mainstream level back when we were kids in the eighties and, you know, into the nineties or whatever, where most of the characters that we were seeing were tailored towards, even if they weren't themselves specifically, but were tailored towards straight white dudes. Um, you never saw that examination of, well, they're just making all these characters, you know, white and straight to make money, which is exactly what it was essentially, you know, for the most part. So I, I think there's a bit of a double standard there where you don't get that type of examination um, unless it's some sort of minority group being represented in some way. And it bothers me that as soon as a minority group is being represented in some way, people immediately start screaming that it's only being done for, I don't know, business purposes or woke culture or whatever. And I think that does a real disservice to the people. In some cases, I said, in some cases, it absolutely is cynical. In other cases, I think it isn't. And it's really, you got to look at everything individually, which I, I think is the wait and see approach to Tim Drake, in my opinion. But it bothers me, or I think it, it's a little disingenuous to underestimate the positive impact that having legitimate, good intentioned representation can have on especially younger people. You know, like our, our time has passed, Jason, for the most part, but uh, people that are currently growing up as children that are realizing they're gay or that are minorities, are black or are Indian or you know, Native American or, you know, Muslim, whatever it is. Um, that are frequently marginalized, there is a real power, there can be a real power in having a pop culture character accurately, truthfully represent the struggle that they go through on a daily basis. I don't know if this will do that or not with Tim Drake, but I'm also hesitant to label anything that ventures into that realm as woke culture or corporate, corporate you know, glad-handing, uh, because I... I think that's duplicitous. I don't know if that's the right word. When we never see that level of examination, when it's not a minority that's being represented, um, yeah, that's that's my thought on that. Yeah, I, one last thing I wanted to say, which I I think is very interesting, is how much the times have changed, and it's it's all for the good that this this has changed. But it is something that also involves Robin is. You know, we're having this discussion now about Tim Drake being bisexual and how, you know, it's gotten definitely the fanboy community. Uh, I don't know if they're up in arms. I wouldn't say they're up in arms. I think that they're more just like it. They have taken note that this is a, a large enough character in the Batman DC universe for us to pay attention to. They have they've written a storyline where he's bisexual. Well, back in the um, 60s, the 1960s, when Batman became a television series with Adam West and Burt Ward, um, they, they really did have a new character invented for the show. And it was the character of Aunt Harriet. And Aunt Harriet was put into Wayne Manor with, you know, having uh, Bruce Wayne, Dick Grayson, and Alfred, three men, 
You've got one man that's mentoring a younger man and an older man with all with the other two men, and the there's a lot of sausage in that factory, folks. Yeah, that's, yeah that, that's a that's a bag of hot dogs. They really were just like this is ridiculous. There is there when you see it outside the comic book format, and you see all of them in this posh lifestyle at the polo club. And they're, they're, you know, men about town, if you will. It, it, they were like this, it just, they seem gay. Like this, and this was the interpretation of the 60s. Like, there's got to be a woman in this house or just the community would be up in, you know, arms going, that man's got that young boy in there and that's just not right. So they invented the character of Aunt Harriet to live with them and be part of the storyline. So at least there was a female motherly type figure there in the house with Dick Grayson. And I just think that's hysterical that they, they invented characters so that they wouldn't even have to, the, the, there wouldn't even be innuendos that these characters were gay to all these which, years later, there were Robin anyway. is gay. <laughs> yes, but there, there were anyway. And you want to know what's even funnier, that's a, a, another story kind of in that vein is, before Adam West died, uh, Warner Brothers did two very good animated movies. I know, odd, but it's true. Recently, that Warner Brothers would come out with two Batman films that didn't suck. <clears throat> but they were animated movies that captured the spirit of the 1960s Batman film. And Adam West did, did the voice uh, for one of them. Uh, Burt Ward did a voice for Robin. And they got a lot of the original uh, writers behind the story. It was really good shit, okay? But one of the funniest things in both of the movies, William Shatner plays, I believe, uh, Harvey Dent and Two-Face. But one of the best things they do in this movie is this uh, always winking to the audience about Aunt Harriet. Aunt Harriet's there, but Aunt Harriet is the character that's making innuendos like, oh, the boys are going, air quote, fishing again, as if she's the one <laughs> that's noticing that there's a relationship beyond what we see here, Alfred. And I just thought that was hysterical that they made a character who was made up in the 60s. She's back again. But this time, instead of being the one that's like the smoke screen, she's actually the one that's like, something's going on. So it, it's just a very interesting thing that's happened between Batman and Robin and, and gay culture uh, for decades, really. Well, dozens of you have any opinions on anything that we've just discussed, you know where to reach us. Jason has nothing Indeed. to add. Okay. We'll I mean, you know, at this point, you know what the fucking thing is. Okay. And uh, so final subject of the week, Jason, um, NXT is on fire. And I don't mean yep. that in like a creatively interesting or fun for the audience or stimulating way. I mean, it is burning to the goddamn ground. And we can smell the rotting corpses from here. Mm -hmm. uh, why don't you provide a little bit of context on this, and then we will wrap up our week. Absolutely. Well, NXT, uh, for a lot of you out there who are wrestling fans know, and they, some of you who aren't even the greatest, biggest you know, marks out there also know, that NXT really is the brainchild of one uh, Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Paul Levesque. Uh, Jason's favorite wrestler, professional wrestler. Greatest wrestler in the history of wrestling ever. Um, and honestly, I do have to say, for all the problems I've ever had <clears throat> with Triple H, NXT would not be one of them. Um, I've always been very critical of his wrestling career and of him as a performer uh, based on his backstage politics. But the creation of NXT and his fostering of new talent, in my opinion, is the best thing that he has ever contributed to the industry. It started as 
and Dave knows a lot about this too, with the, um, that it started with a performance kind of getting performers ready, a developmental territory in Florida uh, where WWE would pull talent from as they were trained up. They used OVW, Ohio Valley Wrestling, for that years ago too. Well, Triple H started really thinking about the idea of we need more than what we have. We need a performance center. We need an actual building with rings in it, trainers, fitness equipment, rehab specialists, promo cutting fucking, you know, professors, Dusty Rhodes. So this was his brainchild to really for the first time ever make almost a wrestling school that developed talent specifically for WWE. It's so like a duh kind of thing to think about. You can't believe it wasn't done before Triple H was like, we really need to do this. Take that, you know, the, the Florida territory, turn it into a performance center territory. Well, that turned into... NXT, <clears throat> and I believe side, if I'm... side note very quickly, Jason, uh, WCW yeah. <clears throat> kind of tried something similar, not to quite the scale, but they had uh, the WCW power plant, which Goldberg was a, a product of, and I believe Canyon, who we mentioned earlier, was was one who was assisted with training there, along with uh, Buddy Lee Parker and a couple other people uh, that were some of the trainers. But what they didn't do is the power plant didn't have their own like developmental territory, which is what no. Triple H also was turning NXT into, which yeah. you are about to go into. So just for context. <clears throat> In 2015, I believe, uh, was really when NXT started to get uh, some traction, where he said, we need a, like a mock kind of territory. We need a mock uh, brand that we prepare them for the, the, the ramp entrances, everything that WWE does. And that became NXT. Well, after a while, they was also training writers production people, camera, they got a deal with Full Sail University where they could use their facilities uh, to start NXT, you know, and it was just a really, one of the things that made me feel good as a wrestling fan, it was, it seemed all, I know this is weird to say, but as wholesome as you can get on helping new people get into our beloved sport and triple H was doing a great job of bringing in his friends to help too. you know, bringing in William Regal to be part of that and bringing in, you know, Billy Gunn and, and road dog, Jesse James and a lot of his friends who helped out and started, you know, instead of being smart ass assholes, they actually started to develop people. He was, the idea was let's bring in the greatest all time dusty roads to teach booking, to teach selling, to teach promos. And here you had, are you fucking kidding me? You had dusty roads as, as a teacher for NXT and the performance center. Anyway, it was gangbusters. It was amazing. Well, they started doing so well because really it was not on the radar of Vince McMahon. Vince knew that there was this thing happening and gave Triple H free reign to do it. But when they started making their own storylines and they started having their own matches that's, that were being recorded. And then when the network, the WWE network launched, you could actually just watch, start watching NXT as its own fucking show. <clears throat> so you're seeing developmental territory go into NXT into a show. Now you've got a fucking show. Well, it became obvious to wrestling fans, Dave, myself, and many people that they were, and I really do believe this, making a superior product to WWE. Not all of it, but on the whole, this little full sale university 
fucking studio audience of, I don't even know, you probably know, Dave, 300 people, 500 people? Something I don't like even that. fucking 300 know. 300 sounds right. But. but Very Small was producing better shows, much to, like, if you were to take, honestly, like, Crockett Promotions in the Carolinas, and you're watching a new version of it. That's what it seemed like. And everything about it was just on point. They were getting wrestlers who were what what you would consider in the Vince McMahon universe undersized. You know, they were not these big, huge, giant people. They were not known. They were brought from certain areas and then taught the quote-unquote WWE, you know, Titan Sports way. And uh, I really applauded it. We started seeing that performers were doing better down there. There was now jealousy that was starting between the main roster, your main superstars in Raw and SmackDown, were watching these NXT stars get applauded by fans. Matter of fact, let's just go further and say the entire women's division and the entire pro wrestling yep. women's movement it came out of NXT. It yep. really did. That's their biggest achievement, in my opinion. You got Bailey and Sasha Banks and all these wonderful, wonderful performers come out of this that just did amazing, amazing work. They were doing better than the fucking men. Well, Charlotte, the main Becky roster, Lynch. Charlotte, Becky Lynch, all of them, they got so pissed because they're still under the command of Vince McMahon, his bullshit booking, the bad scripts, the bad promos, the bad, 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 and they're just meat puppets to go along and do whatever the master puppeteer wants to do they were given free reign down in goddamn nxt to be pro wrestlers not superstars pro wrestlers and there was jealousy because they're like well people are going nxt performers are better than the main roster so you have main roster people going well fuck you if we were allowed to do whatever we're we want to do come up with our own creative and shit uh we would be better than them honestly but we are so you know, handcuffed to this bullshit that Vince McMahon wants us to do. Let me so tell that was quick, going on. Let me tell a quick story, Jason, because it fits right mm -hmm. in with what you're talking about. Uh, several years ago, WWE did a series of shows at Staples Center. Um, it was NXT War Games, Survivor Series, and then a Raw and a SmackDown. It was the one where it was supposed to originally be Ronda Rousey versus Becky Lynch, and then Nia Jax happened, and so Lynch was injured, and then uh, <coughs> and then it ended up being Charlotte and, and Ronda. It was, it was that event. So I wanted to go, and I wanted to go, and I was very excited about seeing NXT, especially in a War Games scenario. So when I first went and got the Survivor Series tickets, I also wanted to get NXT War Games. And I, that was even higher priority at the time, probably, than Survivor Series. So I specifically I went to the box office so I didn't have to pay the fucking bullshit ticket fees. I drove down to Staples Center, walked over to the box office, said, hey, tickets for Survivor Series and tickets for NXT. They would not, and this is an edict, obviously, from WWE, at that time, they would not sell me NXT War Games unless I also bought Raw and SmackDown to go with it. I refused, and then later ended up was able, uh, I don't know, a couple weeks or whatever, was able to get NXT standalone. But they were purposely using NXT to bait more ticket sales for Raw and SmackDown. I thought that was fascinating. I thought it was infuriating at the time. Um, go ahead. It's also very telling that they knew what they yeah. had on their hands, that they're keeping the Cracker Jack prize at the bottom of the box. And in order to get to it, you got to buy the whole fucking box. Well, that's that's really the word on the street. Everyone knew that NXT was producing a better show with kids with no experience and a 300 fucking member audience in Full Sail University. Now, that's just the truth. Their product was better than the WWE's main roster product. And once and again... Sorry, it's Vince McMahon. What? 
Well, also <clears throat> to add to that, also when frequently when NXT people would get called up to the main roster, they would almost immediately lose anything that was special about them because now they were under Vince's control. Vince wouldn't understand them, and then they would crash and burn. Bo Dallas was a legitimate talent in NXT. Mm -hmm. He had a character that was interesting. He went to the main roster, did that for, I don't know, a couple weeks, and then Vince was like, oh, I don't understand it. So they stripped him of the gimmick, and he did nothing ever since then, and now yep. has been released. Um, uh, Tyler Breeze could have been a great Rick the Model Martell type of heel. Vince didn't understand it, took away his entrance. That was the most interesting thing about him. He was partnered up with, I believe, a Summer Rae at the time. He stripped that out and, you know, put him in a bullshit, you know, feud with, I think, Dolph Ziggler or something for a while. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, and now he's been, I believe, released. Um, and so there's been countless people. Bailey, initially, she was a license to print money. She was a John Cena without the cynicism from as far as the, the fan perspective. And could have been legitimately from the jump the biggest star that they had on that roster. Um, and Vince immediately just booked her into the ground to where she had to turn heel because she had absolutely no momentum as a face anymore. And that comes down to Vince's booking. Um, so we've seen it over and over again. Becky Lynch got over in spite of Vince's booking because they had her turn on Charlotte thinking that that would make her a heel. And the crowd was so happy that someone was, you know rallying against Charlotte being shoved down the audience's throat so much that they fucking cheered the shit out of her. She became the biggest star that they had up until the time that she left. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's just a couple of examples of how, and Finn Balor was another one, big star on NXT, went up to the main roster. They gave him a title and then he got injured. That kind of sucked. And then, but then he was floundering, <clears throat> went back to NXT and immediately became a giant star again and compelling to watch, not just because of the fact that they're putting him at the top of the card. So there's a couple of examples of of the difference between presentation in how someone was presented when Triple H is booking them compared to how they're presented when Vince McMahon is booking them. Then there was Lars Sullivan, a guy who just kind of was whatever in NXT. Vince wanted twice to bring him up to the main roster because he was a big dude, typical type of thing that Vince salivates over. And he crashed and burned immediately because he shouldn't have been in that position to begin with. Uh, so... There's a, a study of contrast. <clears throat> well, the thing is that we all knew that NXT was doing better. So, you know, yay. And anytime that Vince wanted one of these wonderfully developed people that were doing exactly what they were told to do and, and, and really achieving great things uh, down in NXT, they'd be brought to the main roster, just like Dave said. And Vince would not understand it, not know what to do with it, and book them into the ground, have them lose a lot, put them in uninteresting storylines until they were just... Useless. And Keith they were Lee huge and Ricochet stars in come to mind. Keith Lee <clears throat> and Ricochet. I mean, all of them. Anyway, so let, let's go a little bit forward here. What happened was when Tony Khan started really moving pieces around to make AEW, it was, you know, everyone could hear, put their ear to the railroad ties, and they could hear that it was coming. There was this huge talent acquisition that started happening in WWE with the only reason they wanted to start buying up major talent all over the world was so that Tony Khan could not get his hands on them, that they would rather have them under contract, cool their heels and not have them do a goddamn thing rather than Tony Khan somehow get these performers. So they were just getting people under contract fucking all over the place a few years ago. When Tony Khan finally did get all his deals in order and AEW was coming to TNT, Vince decided, probably with John Laronitis, the idea that, well, so that we don't really have to risk that much if, if, there starts, if we start to have some competition, let's put NXT up against AEW. Let's have like another 
Monday Night Wars, but it's happening on what, Wednesday or whatever, <clears throat> whatever the hell it was. So these Wednesday Night Wars start happening, and we were very excited about it. Matter of fact, one of our first shows we ever did here on One Day Closer to Dead, we talked about this new war and how exciting this was going to be. Well, we thought it was going to be a war, but it wasn't. AEW, after a while, was the superior product. I mean, week in, week out, <clears throat> they had better stuff all the fucking time. And pretty soon, the viewership just, you couldn't deny what was happening. So, in effect, NXT did lose the war. And its they've never rebounded, and it doesn't matter. AEW is significantly more enjoyable and watchable than NXT. So now, NXT is being dismembered. They're, they're being, there are so many releases happening from the, their roster on NXT that is just bizarre stuff. Like, I think um, they got, the, well, they called him up, but that Bronson Reed had the North yeah. American title. <clears throat> they brought him up, made him look like a fucking idiot, and now he's gone. He got released, and he is somebody that Triple H handpicked. He groomed him. He made him a champion. He was the made, you know, pushed him, and Honestly, there is a lot of fucking talk now because NXT, they're saying they're going to get a new logo. They're going to be rebranded. It's going to have a whole different th uh, theme around it and a feel. But Vince NXT, is now taking it over. Vince is taking it over. And he's also, it's come out through Dave Meltzer that he's basically telling people behind the scenes, enough of this undersized people in their 30s and 40s shit. He said, I want people basically big guys in their 20s big guys in their 20s so you can't get more vince mcmahon than you know steroided up 25 year olds are going to be the direction we're going here with nxt but i think what's the more interesting part about all this is i really and a lot of people believe that the relationship this is the thing that i'm the most interested about in this topic right that the relationship between paul levesque triple h and his father-in-law vince mcmahon there is something that has gone severely fucking awry here. Severely awry. More than just business. But I really think that Vince has somebody in his ear. Could be Laronitis. Could be Bruce Pritchard. Who knows? Somebody is in his ear basically like, you know, Triple H had everything that we could give him to win that AEW war. And he fucking lost it. He lost. So... It goes to show you that fucking brand isn't worth shit if it can't compete against AEW. So fuck it. And and I think that they've gotten in Vince's ear to the point that Vince is like, you're right. We need to go back to old school bulking. And that's really where we're at. But what's the most interesting part of this to me is Triple H has given his whole fucking adult life to basically the corporate <clears throat> side of WWE wanting yeah. to be the next Vince McMahon. So he's really been groomed for it. He's taken on huge, huge managerial positions and decision-making. And it's looking more and more every day as these rumors are flying about Vince McMahon losing his mind, selling the company, NBC might buy the company, all these talent cuts, all these budget cuts, that honestly, there's no way that you can look at what Vince has done with NXT, which is basically... Triple H's baby, legitimately from start to end. The and aborted it. And uh, yeah, aborted that it's Vince telling Triple H, fuck you. 
Now, this didn't work. Your idea didn't work. And we're stopping this fucking idea after six years of some excellent fucking shit behind what he did. And I think also, and I, this is weird for me to say, I really do think that Triple H's heart was in it too. And in oh, the totally. right place. Absolutely. I, I mean, I think that he has been shitty to fellow performers. I think yes. that he is just fucking cut people down, cut them at the knees, taken advantage of them, politicked his way all the fucking over his booking, his career. He's politics his way into the McMahon family. But I can tell you that this is the one time I looked at this man and went, well, this is good. What he's doing is good. His heart and soul is into developing these kids. And some people have even said, particularly in, let's say, you know, what culture, uh, com, what culture com, and all this is what was the fucking point anyway? What was the fucking point of NXT anyway? Because if you look at it as we're getting you ready for the big time and the big time is WWE, really, in a way, there should have been some more direction that you have to be, you have to be a Vince McMahon guy. If that's really what you were getting them ready for is to work directly for Vince, then it is a failure. It really did fail on a lot of levels. Now, I'm not saying that I believe this, but right. there, a lot of people are saying if the whole idea was to get you up and running for Titan Sports to work directly under Vince McMahon, why the fuck did Triple H bother having them work like they were in, you know, the, the Mid-Carolinas here? Like, you know, what, what, was, the, what was the point of this? And... I do understand completely what they're saying, but it doesn't take away from the magic, the five years of magic that NXT accomplished, because I think it showed wrestling fans that when wrestling's done right, you don't need a traveling circus to do it. You don't need 20,000 people in an audience to do it. You just need good storytelling and you need good performers with a lot of passion. And that's what NXT proved. And to see it dismantled in such a heartless fucking shitty way, I mean, they're not even being told we're going to stop it and you guys are just now the performance center again and just teach these kids. No, they're taking the brand away and turning it and McManning it. There, there's a lot of McManigans going on to turn it into just another shitty brand, just another shitty Vince brand, when really they should have given it back to Triple H said, we fucked up. This is not a thing that we should have been using for a brand to compete against anybody. It should have been what it was always designed for, teaching kids how to be fucking wrestlers. Yeah, and I think what Triple H was trying to do is I think he was trying to change Vince's perception about what a wrestler, well, Vince doesn't like the term wrestler, but what a superstar could be. Um, and because Triple H is a pro wrestling fan, whereas Vince really seems in many ways not to be. Uh, so I think that was by design what Triple H was trying to do. And now there's there's that pushback for it. And yeah, I agree. It's it's incredibly sad as far as you know what's I some of the best matches I've I recall seeing in recent memory have all been from NXT. The ones that popped to mind in no particular order. Um Johnny Gargano versus Andrade, I thought was phenomenal. It's from one of the takeovers. Um Bailey Sasha Banks, uh the first one, and then the the follow up Iron Woman's match was was really good as well, but I prefer the first one. I thought it was just an absolute masterclass in storytelling. Um, and, um, Shinsuke Nakamura, his debut match against Sami Zayn. Absolutely. I love that. I love the match with him and Sami Zayn. You know, there, that's the one I was thinking of. Honestly, I can't, I'm glad that you mentioned it because I'm like, I remember watching that match and someone I was with watching at the time would just said, I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen anything like this. And I was like, I know this is fucking amazing that we're able to watch this here on American fucking soil that this is happening fantastic fucking match just 
ungoddamn believable. And this is why we can't have nice things, Jason. <clears throat> because of Vince goddamn McMahon. It's time, it really is time for NBC to buy it. Honestly, it's how I felt about, you know, Star Wars when Disney bought it from Lucas. We can't do any fucking worse here. Uh, we might as well. And then there's, of course, the rumors that now Bray Wyatt is in some sort of talks with, um, with AEW. There's why that would going he not around be? too. <laughs> like, yeah, now, why would he not I'm be? Just, this is not a story we want to go into yet, but I can tell you for a fact that <laughs> Bray Wyatt coming in is some sort of thing that's like The Fiend or just a new character he's developed. Get the fuck out of here. I mean, he's, he's from NXT. He's, he's one of Dusty's protégés. I mean, it's just, they have dropped the ball. Nobody knows what the fuck's happening in Vince's head or if anything's happening up there. None of these decisions make any sense at fucking all. Nah, but it's also, con I mean, the consistency is, you know, what Vince <laughs> likes is not what most other people, including his audience, enjoys. And while back in the day, he was always fond of saying, well, you know, I don't make any of these decisions. We listen to our audience. That has not been the case ever since WCW went out of business. No, because he hasn't needed to. Correct. And I think that's, uh, I think that's our show. Any final thoughts, Jason? No, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very, very, very much for listening to us. And I can't believe the massive, massive uptick we got in listenership last week. It's as if you guys took the summer off, some of you, from listening to us and then went right back into it after you dropped the kids off from school and you could actually listen to our E-rated podcast for explicit. Thank you very much for coming back and listening. We appreciate it. And it's uh, awesome to be here on 101 episodes with and for you. Will I be getting my trinket this week, Jason? Yeah, we'll see if you're a good boy. God damn it. And for the dozens. And dozens. Of listeners out there, my partner is the vanilla Godzilla, Jason Bailey. And my partner over there is the great David Beaudry. And we are one day closer to dead and one episode closer to 200. But that day is not and will not be today. So until next week, folks.